but Zatessa, I know um, as, uh, it's funny, I, I did a session for her once and I just picked up the fact that she was funny and she's like, oh yeah, I'm a comedian. Um, and that she had great presence and she's like, oh, I'm an actress <laughs> um, and voice and oh, I can sing. Uh, there, there were, you know, I sort of met this person as, as the layers of, uh, were unwrapped. You know, I was discovering uh, the, the artist and the creator in her and, and the heart that she just brings to the world through her voice in, in many ways. Um, but what I didn't know and what I learned through time was, was all the work that she does uh, for inclusion for children, that she's also got her BA in psychology, you know, and her MA in counseling, um, and that she's been involved in, you know, uh, Broadway uh, creating inclusion programs. Um, and there's just so many layers to her. Uh, she is a true Renaissance woman and somebody I care for greatly. And I'm so grateful for you to take the time to come on tonight, Tessa. I really appreciate you being here. I'm so, I'm always happy to be with you, Asa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we really, from day one, I think the first time we ever met, it was like, oh yeah, we know each other. We're yeah. old friends hanging out. You are a soulmate of mine. Yep. So, <laughs> Yeah, like like dogs in the dog park when they find each other and they're like, hey, friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that idea. You know I'm a dog person. So. Uh, of course, me too. <laughs> um, so uh, how are you doing, first of all? How are you and how is your husband and how are you guys doing, you know, through COVID and, and through what's begun now here uh, with, with George Floyd, so... Yeah. you know through all of that I know it's a big question but please it's like such a big question it's such a funny question it's like the most important question to be asking everyone right now and it's like such a hard question to answer I am safe so important for me to say that out loud <laughs> so yeah. I hear it too you know I am safe my husband is safe we are in Los Angeles and we are uh, you know, we are the lucky ones um, in terms of COVID, you know, my husband's able to continue working, uh, you know, we're both still getting paid um, and feeling secure in that way. Uh, so in that, and, and healthy, um, we have been able to maintain our lives and be able to shelter in place because neither of us are working in some essential jobs. So we've been able to stay healthy and safe in that way um and pre pre this this week um like really like do, doing the work and riding the waves as georgie and you were talking about of of reflecting and seeing society and systems breaking down in, internally and watching systems break down outside and watching the paradigms break and the programming that I had around things all break and seeing the, the beauty of that, you know, and also like the overwhelm of that and, and my relationship to it. And then this week, my answer is not okay. You know, I'm not okay. Um, I am safe, but I don't feel safe. Um, I don't know that you should be okay, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, also, you're in a city where they're doing uh, rotating 
curfews like I know that at least yesterday or the day before the curfews were changing times and stuff and it was really confusing and I I actually saw a post from you where you were like hey just in case you don't know here are the times and like yep. sending it out to your community exactly yeah I mean we might be on the phone we might get uh, my phone's next to me I, we might get another curfew I don't know what the curfew is tonight uh, yeah, I mean. Um, so did it just go off on your phone? Is that what happened? Like it just blared on your phone? Like, you know, like an Amber Alert when the child, yeah. you know, that level of like, and with the sound and the whole thing. And then like yesterday, it was at 8 p.m. Um, and then they changed it to 6 p.m. You know, like it, which gave us less than, you know, like about a half hour to make sure we got home. And it's, um, it's, it's tough on like the nervous system to just, just even from the safety of our world of my husband and I, where we can go to a safe place and we are, we're like 10 minutes away from downtown LA. So in a, in a residential area, you know, that we've been enjoying walking around and navigating COVID through walks and, you know, um, enjoying the safety of our backyard and but now like even a walk around the neighborhood isn't allowed after well and i wonder how safe it feels did you hear about that fellow i'm i'm, I'm sure i will bastardize his last name but but his name is sean uh Dramgul, uh a fellow in tennessee who uh posted online he's 29 years old black man lived in the same neighborhood i think his family lived there for 54 years the neighborhood has been gentrifying over the years. And uh, and he had had a couple times where he'd been stopped by cops as the neighborhood has gotten whiter. He had been stopped with like, you know, what are you doing walking black in this white neighborhood? Um, and and he said after this thing that just happened with George Floyd, he, he posted online that he was afraid to leave his house, that he was afraid to leave his porch uh, yeah. and to go walk uh, in his neighborhood because he was afraid that, you know, he would be shot. Yeah. Uh, and something that happened. Did you hear about this? I didn't hear about that, but it's it's so powerful because I just had to finish the story and it was amazing because he he, uh, he said his, his mother initially said I'll walk with you uh, and uh, and I'll go outside and he he took his ID and his phone. He was really like very afraid, but <clears throat> he's trying not to cry. No. It's, it's emotional. <laughs> his neighbors saw his post and uh, and they came. And they walked with him, uh, just just tons of them. There were just a whole bunch of them walking through the neighborhood with him, um, and you know, mostly white. There were some yeah. other black families in there, but they were like, you know what, we're with you, and, and you don't have to walk alone, uh, which was such a great thing to see. But it was also just so sad that, that that had to happen. I think it's important that it's happening and that we identify it, and we recognize it, and we acknowledge it because. You know, we're seeing a lot of the violence and a lot of the negative that's happening there, but we also need to make sure that we're paying attention that there's a lot of there's a lot of love and there's a lot of light that's shining in this darkness. Um, and it's it's finding the balance of not ignoring either one, you know, which which is tricky, I think, you know, not just getting lost in heartfelt stories, I don't, uh, but at the same time, not not just getting lost in the dark stories. Absolutely, and also just even. I just, I'm gonna take in that story because it's so beautiful and what a freaking metaphor too, if we were walk with you. Yeah, it's I great just, I'll tell you while you're taking it in, people yeah. should Google it. It's worth Googling 
you know, Sean uh, Dromgoole, D-R-O-M-G-O-O-L-E, Tennessee, yeah. walk with me. Uh, really worth, worth, worth uh, checking out. It's really beautiful. Oh, great. Thanks. It's in the chat box. That's great. Um, and the thing is, we're so, so just so folks know, right? Like I am a mixed race woman. I identify as black. My birth father's Kenyan. Um, I was raised in a predominantly white community in a mixed race family. Um, my husband is mixed race. His father is black. His mother is white. Um, so, um, and I'm an educator and facilitator and consultant. So I work in a lot of spaces where I'm having a lot of conversations around race and, and, um, and code switching and meeting people where they are. And as an educator, meeting people wherever they are with a lot of openness and love and, um, and, and taking people uh, beginning on steps on a path towards more insight and awareness, whether that's around race and dynamics, cult, class, culture, you know, um, it, awareness around inclusion of individuals with special needs and all of that. So that's, you know, so I'm, I'm practiced in this conversation around race and um, navigating it. But it's so interesting in this time where similarly in the COVID era, you know, I really like the way Georgie was saying, like, we're in the second wave because on mm -hmm. um, it's you know the folks who are listening to this conversation i think understand that more than others you know we i remember when we when you had your interview with patty and she was talking about there's going to be another wave in june and there's going to be these different things and you know i think when at that time we were like oh yeah that's just about the the virus right there's going to be another yeah. virus and all of that but like but but folks who've been having this conversation or in this consciousness with with you asa like know that this is there's a wave of consciousness breaking and consciousness awakening happening and we're in another wave of the consciousness awakening happening right now you know and it's so interesting in, just like it has been we're having these very personal experiences in our very, our quickly smaller and smaller little worlds um, that are mirroring and reflecting what's happening on the societal level right. so intensely. And your example of that story, right? Like this, it's so meaningful on a societal level. And also like this, this young man is scared and people were able to feel it, hear it, and empathize with it and realize they were the safe people, right? They were the people who could create safety and support him, you know, like that's just the idea. And see him as a member of their community. And see, them, see him as a member of their community. That they that's the thing I really think is that we have to start seeing ourselves as, as members of each other. So it's interesting because I think in conversation, right, there's a lot of times uh, the black white divide in conversation, you know, yeah. at least, you know, you can feel that sometimes where it's like, wait, you know, I'll tell you as a white person, like you're outside, so you don't understand, right? And there's a, there's a clarifying and, and not that that's untrue, but it, it can, it, I think sometimes it gets confused as, you know, you have no voice in this at all, or you're, you're separate from us instead of realizing, no, 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 
you just, you can't speak for us, but we could still have these conversations. And one of the things that, you know, I wanted to bring you on for is, is because I wanted to talk about creating a safe place to get honest with each other, to have these conversations and to realize, you know, it's what I was saying with Georgie, you know, uh, um, you know, to move past the, the, the discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or the right thing to do, you know, first of all, actually, before we even continue on that, like, I feel like, I, I don't, you know, maybe this is ridiculous, but I feel like I have to announce that like Black Lives Matters doesn't mean that Black people are saying your life doesn't matter if you're not Black. You know, that's why this whole, the whole All Lives Matters, the reason why it's an insult is because what Black Lives Matters are saying, we haven't mattered, we haven't been seen, we haven't, we, our lives have not been valued. And so we're, we're asking for value over here. It's, it's not about you or about this competition, which is why when you say all lives matters, it's like negating completely what they're experiencing. And it's, it's like an unacknowledgement. Would you say that that's fair the way I'm saying it? And, and please absolutely, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, though. I think it really is misunderstood. Like somehow this, you know, Black Lives Matters, again, is a, a call of dominance. And I, I don't think it's a call of dominance. I think it's a call for equality. Absolutely, I, I I think that there's a confusion that is go that is that has happened because of some of the different stages of our relationship to discussing race and race dynamics, and that we talked about racists over there being bad people that are separate from us, and that we don't see color, and that we you know, and this idea that like. We're, we, the non-racists, don't see color and it's, we don't acknowledge it at all. And those racists over there see color and judge and hate based on it. And that divide has actually, it, it was a stage of our consciousness, but it actually is something we really have to shed at this point so that when people hear something, I mean, I like where, where people think are uncomfortable talking about race because they're so unpracticed in it. And, you know, um, the truth is within a lot of black communities and a lot of black and people of color, we are having a lot of conversations around race all the time, over lunch, at brunch, in the rehearsal. It doesn't all have to be toxic and angry. Like there's plenty to be angry about. We all see that now, right? I don't have to explain that, but, um, but, but, there, but just the, the frequency of conversation around race and this, and even within like the black community, like the acknowledgement of like, I'm light-skinned and that means something. And that means I have a different experience. And if I don't acknowledge that, like my darker skinned black friends are gonna let me know because it's important for me to know that I'm having a different experience in the world than they are and, and realizing that. And that that the fluidity and fluency of that conversation is very practiced within communities of color. And then there's folks where are white folks who are not as practiced with that muscle. It's, I would say it's a very, it's a real privilege to not have to practice that because people like me had to experience it in preschool, you know? preschool, I was navigating race with my teachers and, and peers, you know, because I was of the, you know, the only black girl in an all white 
preschool um, with white teachers. You know, so I was already having to navigate it and have been ever since. But if you aren't asked to experience it, if you're not, if it's not forced upon you to experience it, you can navigate life without developing these very important skills. And then you can feel quite inept and yet you can be, you can be, have a lot of expertise in so many areas of conversation. And then all of a sudden race can come up and it can feel threatening and like you're not welcome into that conversation and you can feel like you don't have the right words to speak to it you know and all of a sudden you're in you're out you feel out of your depth and you feel like that is one could feel un like that is uncomfortable and maybe inoffensive or or something like that so what about uh the part of you know so what about just a genuine fear to not offend or yeah. fear of like there's also you know because it hasn't been happening there's also a lot of anger obviously you know that, that's there uh in the black community there's you know i mean there's a lot of anger in the white community too but but let's just take it from you know yeah. <laughs> but but let's say there's anger there and you start these conversations and it's like it, it, you know i think a part of what happens is people getting triggered you know how do we yeah, what do we do? Do we just have to dive in and, and, and find a way to stay truthful and try to find a way through that? Like, you know, well, I, well, I think a question, but I'm asking for your thoughts around it. Yeah, I'm going to think of, I'm going to share thoughts around it, not with expertise, but with some knowledge from a few different things of both my personal experience and my professional experience, which is that um, I, I think I'll take it back to my personal experience, which is in the last few days, I've had this interesting experience of having a lot of white friends who are very intimate in my life and also in my professional life who have found that it's very difficult to know what to say to me. And I get, I'm getting a lot of, um, I don't know what to say, I don't want, and, and all of that, which is great that they are able to share that they don't know what to say and, um, and yet are still reaching out like, how beautiful I, I see the love of that and also like let's look at that let's look at the fact that these are people that have been in my life for many years and yet they don't know how to relate to my blackness and they they are, are they're noticing their lack of skills in navigating their blackness and 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 what what does that mean so there, that's where we start. I understand the confusion of fear of wanting to not wanting to offend and fear of, of doing it wrong. Um, I, I say, like Georgie quoted Cornell West, let's, let's keep on trying and failing and failing until we get better and better and feel better and feel better. Um, and also like, um, do it wrong, do it wrong and navigate the, the well, that's what I say. I say we you know, I think, uh, I think it's so important, you know, obviously careful enough that we're respectful, that we're not starting something that, that we don't want to start, but also, you know, free enough that we can, we can, you know, mess up and, and, and have somebody call us out. And as I say, correct ourselves, you know, correct yeah. ourselves. And, you know? And, 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 and that means also being able to cop to like, oh, wow, I didn't get that, like owning it, you know, it's a, I think it's, it's interesting. It's all an exercise in, in dealing with our ego too. 
right? And uh, so, you know, it's not just about racism, it's about everything and learning how to converse and to listen, to hear, to take in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have back to you with this, this, uh, this, this thing with your friends, with your white friends. So my question is, do you think that on some level uh, uh, that there's a place in you where you were protecting them from your blackness? A hundred percent. I was raised to protect around the fragility of whiteness. <laughs> I was raised to work and, and work with adapting to white culture and I have skills and have developed on my own the skills of being able to code switch, right? To be able to navigate white, white spaces, white wealthy spaces, white working, working class spaces, edu educational spaces, academic, like I've had to navigate and code switching within those, right? We all, we can understand those just within the white experience. And then also within the black experience and navigating those because of the, the, the gift and complexity of my literal cells, you know, and all the experiences I've had, I'm navigating that a lot. The truth is a lot of people of color would say, oh yeah, I know exactly about, about code switching and, and the skills I need to do to be in different spaces and what it means to be in all, all white space versus others for sure, right? That's a skill that's developed it, for lots of different people. I'm sure there's people, there may be people of color who don't identify as black, but who are, are a person of color who are nodding their heads along going, oh yeah, I know that experience. Or even people who have one side of the family who's very wealthy and one side of the family that is, um, is working class and how the, the differences in the experience of just eating dinner at the family home, you know, in those different spaces. Uh, we, we navigate it, but there's also an idea that I definitely was raised in for better and for worse because of the culture and world that I've lived in. And I have a feeling everybody else on this call has also been raised in this, but the idea of whiteness in the white culture being something that was the correct way and therefore needed to be adapted to and the thing to stay comfortable with and that anything outside of that is wrong, needs to be hidden, needs to be to the side. I'm quite sure that everybody is having an experience now of going, oh, I know that from my own experience of what, what was happening in that world and what I felt wasn't welcome in that world. And so I hit it to make everyone more comfortable and protect myself. And I actually think uh, there are white people who are waking up to that experience themselves, you know, where they- Absolutely. I love when Georgie said, uh, she wanted to be a milk makeup to find the weird. You know, she talks about, you know, right. about the weird. And right. it's like, you know, there are those who are like, oh, I'm looking for the weird. Like I don't, and I have, I happen to have lots of friends like that. I tend to attract <laughs> that around me, which makes yeah. me really happy and feel really wealthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I know that, you know, they've been asked to adjust and to perform for, you know, yeah. white culture. And I don't, I, I do think, you know, I don't know that I would have identified it as, as adjusting for, for white culture and, and that white is right, you know. Um, right. I think that that's a, an awareness that a lot of white people are going like, oh, wait, what is that container we're talking about? And, and starting to realize we, like a lot of our politics, a lot of things surround that container that affect a lot of different people, you know. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, 
when you're black, it's a little more obvious, right? So it's a little, a little harder to hide under that radar. But, but nonetheless, I think it's a, it's, a, it's ending across a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And also because I am black, there's even more importance put upon navigating, upon putting on and navigating and making sure to meet an expectation, right? Like I, I have been previously in relationships, like partnerships, um, romantically, where I would have a, a white partner and the, the, the comfort of them being able to walk into a space, a restaurant with flip-flops on or something, right? And that for me, I'm like, <laughs> this isn't allowed. I can't do this because of my training and the fear of being experienced in a certain way, which let me be clear, now I'm saying, even that experience of what I was fearing is not a problem. That's a part of the, the, the white supremacist mentality that I had integrated into myself. We all have, how could you not in this country? It's very difficult not to unless you're actively fighting against it. I know that's a dangerous, it's a, it's a, it's a charged word. So it's hard. I know that. Against it? I'm, no, I'm saying the word white supremacist is yes. the. Oh, yeah, that's a charged word. word. It's a charged word, so and people go, "Oh, I'm not that," but I don't. But I hope that me, me sitting here and saying this as a woman of color and being like, "Of course we all are. We're living in this world. This is this world's told us that this white was right and white was better and all of those things. So much so that when I'm the, my tangent is that when I was walking in with a, a partner into a restaurant, they're wearing flip flops." their comfort, they didn't have to adapt to white was right because they were white. So they didn't have to navigate some of those things and had some more freedom around it where to, to spit on the sidewalk or, you know, or walk in sidewalks or, or linger in an area where, but for me, I was raised with, I absolutely can't do that because the history of it is that there was laws against it. There was police brutality against spitting on the street. There was, there was like, there's, you know, there's, I, I can't, there's people won't let you into a restaurant if you're not dressed right. And even if you're dressed right and walking in, you're being experienced differently. So all the more reason that you have to prove yourself in this really toxic way, you know, to navigate it. I'm talking about such a privileged experience of being black too, right? Like still within this, let me say like, my experience is still so privileged in, in navigating all of this, but I'm talking about walking into a restaurant, but, but it's relevant, you know, because it's, it shows how much we're all intertwined in this. So if that's the case, you know, uh, so how do we change the system? You know, once we, you know, uh, so we have the protests, right? Where there's loud statements being made, there's, solidarity happening everywhere. You heard me talking about this with Georgie, you know, there is a point where, uh, hopefully not through martial law, but there is a point where, where things will settle down. And then the question becomes, you know, how do we continue the growth? How do we, we move past this? You know, especially when I do think there's a lot of people that will, even after everything you've said, and as eloquently as you said it, they're like, may not be able to process the white supremacist society. So yeah. Um, I don't have the answers and I think that, um, there's a lot of different ways for a lot of different people to do it and we're all 
going to have to do our different skill sets around it, including storytelling, including going out and act, being an activist on the streets, include like uh, changing systemically within our own workspaces and all of that. But, you know, when Georgie's talking about the experience of, of the, the way that they're doing biased work within their own organization so that every single person in there is getting, getting to, to exercise their skill sets around racial bias and understanding their role in it and how to change it in their own work system and all of that, that's very personal work. And I, I really, I mean, I, I'm sure that everybody, somebody, people who are on this call with you are already so practiced in doing personal work and you just, one also has to include actively include racism and becoming an anti-racist into their practice, which means exploring both the ways that they have been harmed by living in a racist society, truly, and grieving the ways that we all have been harmed by it and the ways that we have upheld it and what, how do we let go of it. It's an active work. It's- yeah. And it's about, it really is about conversations. I think it is about continuing. I'm so uh, sure that that one of the most important things that happens with this is that these conversations happen at work, that they happen in schools, and that it doesn't just become... And at the dinner table, and at the family reunion, and at the wedding, and at the in the therapist session, and <laughs> all of the places, yeah. Uh, and then uh, that it doesn't just become... Uh, uh, like protocol, like just wrote that they're real conversations, you know, that we enter in these conversations with our ears open and connecting uh, um, with them. And also, I think, like you said, performance, I mean, I think it's it's also, you know, we're gonna have to keep some of the drama going as well. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. That's an important part of it. Um, Absolutely. You know? uh, and, and I think there is a place where we have to start really looking at, um, you know, I, I think if we're gonna get something across about privilege, it's, uh, I think most white people, when their kids go out, you know, what they worry about is them speeding or, you know, their their friends and their peers and, you know, maybe getting into trouble or having sex or drugs or all of those things, you know? Um, and and I think, you know, what I've heard just listening to, to some my black friends is that their families give them a whole speech on looking out for the police officers and for the systems and what you were talking about as far as how you behave and conduct yourself and you're going to deal with these things out there and it's a it's a different uh experience completely it's a different it's two different americas right which is why it's so important to go back to what you're saying that we that we say black lives matters why we actually say black lives matters we all know all life matters we have to know that we believe that but importantly People aren't on, people are, Black lives have been at risk and devalued in our society and are treated like less. And that's why we're having to have these very, we are having a very different experience as people of color, of Black people. And therefore, that's why it's so important to really actually say Black lives matters because they haven't. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But I, I, there's something also that you said, Asa, in terms of we, in the conversation and also having the um, 
keep keeping our ears open in the conversation. And so, well, yes, the conversation is very important and risk it, look foolish, create conflict. All of those things are okay in the process of us evolving together and opening and joining the movement to change and, and evolve our system and our society and our world. But um, before there's work to do even before that, just to keep our ears open. And that's really having a relationship with our ego and having an actual exploration of our own work. Don't like, <laughs> Um, of our own work to be done. There's books to be read. There's things to be listened to where we can start to hear some of the information in a way where we're not having a conversation with a person to push back upon and go, but I'm not a racist, but I'm not a white supremacist. I love black people. I've got friends who are black, you know, like all of those things, you know, like, all of those that's our so much of that comes up in conversation and can be difficult oh, I and can yet I feeling that way at times we're like wait not me you know of course um yeah. it's like yes, you me all of us well and it's why i wanted to bring you into the conversation because i think it really is about creating a safe space to understand what racism is and and what what's happening that yes there is that part there's the the you know, the George Floyd, there's the, the just like being murdered in, in front of people and yeah. nobody doing anything about it, even people who could, you know, there is that, but there's also, you know, you know, everyday racism that's happening in, in our lives that we just don't even realize. And it's because it's, you know, oh, it was actually, you know, as a matter of fact, it was Kareem. Did you read the Kareem? I didn't, I saw it, but I didn't okay. see. You I have to read it. He, I he can't wait. Brilliant. One of the things he said is, he said, racism is like, dust in the air he's like you're in the house we're all breathing it in and nobody sees it until you shine a light and then you realize holy shit there's all this dust in the room that i'm breathing in right it was phenomenal and it's it's like and i think it's it's you know it's it's on all of us (laughs) yeah yeah it's on all of us and i think uh what i wanted to go to and you know just this is perspectives right on the re-emergence and so i think re-emerging uh, or emerging into a new world to create that is also recognizing, you know, I think one of the things that we've done over the years to end racism, to bring equality to women, you know, to, to so many different things, you know, not just in, in this area, is uh, we've brought equal as in same. We've looked for where everything is the same. And I, and I, and saying like, oh, see, you know, and even in some ways, I think some of the protesters have come along that way, even women along the way, like I can do what you can do and everything's been a lot of like same. But I actually think we have to evolve now to the next level where we realize that that God, the the universe, the all that is, the creative force, source, goddess, the multitude yeah. of beings that have imbued this planet with life, imbued it with diversity. We exist and live because of diversity. If you just look out your window in that short little view, you will see more diversity than you could count in your head. Impossible to count it and calculate. And there's just more and more diversity throughout the whole planet and realizing that equal isn't necessarily same, it, that there are differences. And, that, and I think these conversations are about realizing, you know, uh, even if 
we get past prejudice, there are places where we both have a heartbeat. We feel, you know, we have feelings, we have love, we have, you know, yeah. needs and all of that. But there's also places where my hair will never grow like yours, or, you know, there's different differences. I mean, it's an obvious one, but there's a lot of inobvious, you know, ones that aren't so obvious that just deal with culture and, and history and ancestry and all sorts of stuff. And that that's, that that's a getting safe to learn that and know that and connect on that and realizing like equal and coming together doesn't mean that we have to pretend that we're the same. It's Absolutely. actually okay to recognize our differences. So that's the really interesting thing and, and what makes me hopeful about these conversations that are happening because I think um, there's the cool part of America the, of bringing you know, every culture together in one place and the potential of that into this melting pot. And yet I think there's the really important part that we have to get back to honoring the individual cultures and ancestry and, and, and waking that up you know, and, and finding a way to not, not have that divide us but actually to see how that connects us. Because our differences will actually, if we, if we will soon discover that we're actually connected through those differences. That's what Absolutely. I believe. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and I think you're also speaking, you know, I, when I talk about something that you're speaking about, it's like lenses, like we're all experiencing life through these different lenses. And I think that, um, you know, I think that many men can have the experience of really see, thinking that their lens is just the truth and absolute because so much of what's reflected and told in the story is through a male lens, right? And similarly, um, a lot of white folks can think that their lens of how they're seeing the world is just the way it is because so much of their story and the world that they're seeing is reflected back, it's also white. So then they think that that's just normal and as is, you know, instead of realizing they're looking through a lens. Yeah, well, I mean, on that note, you know, our eyes <clears throat> only see 70% of what's in front of us physically. 30% yeah. of what we see is actually filled in by the brain. The brain goes in and, you know, puts it all together and says, creates this hologram and we, we, we see, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that, that lens, it's really, the metaphors are everywhere and the connections are there. I think that whole as above, so below, you know, it's all, yeah connected is it's it's such a pervasive truth that we should build a deeper relationship and realize that if you want to know what's going on uh energetically with something look at what's happening physically with it look at its physical makeup and vice versa if you want to understand what's happening physically look at what's going on energetically and you will always find the relationship and so you know a part of that's why you know communication you know 90 percent is learning to listen you know 10 percent is is the sharing 90 percent is learning to listen and and uh, I'm, I'm listen. I'm for me. That's a whole work in progress. I'm working on hey, it. Me but, too. Uh, me yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy learning it, right? You know, and uh, you know, doing these interviews, coming back to doing them. It's like, oh yeah, that's right. I remember my my mentor who taught me about interviewing always used to say, don't you know, don't go in with a big list of questions and, and be looking at your paper and not paying attention to your guest. You, you need yeah. to listen because that's the only way you're going to create a good interview. And it's, it's just such a great one to take out into the world. How do we listen? How do we hear each other? And realize that it's okay to hear something that's uncomfortable and even to not be sure that you agree and to just take that in and sit with it. That, that's the other part that I think is, I, I know has been challenging for me at times that as far as where my ego will get triggered is like, oh, we don't have to resolve who's right or what's true in this moment. We can actually just take it in and, and, 
and be with that. And it's building more comfort for the discomfort, uh, which is which is about building the, and the discomfort is the unknown. Absolutely. I think that, I think you said it so well, and I'm just going to add in uh, to piggyback upon what you've just said, like the, we know that experience when we're getting stronger physically, right? That the area when we're actually growing, when the muscle is actually growing is when it starts to feel uncomfortable. You feel the fatigue of the muscle. You feel the stretch of the muscle. You really feel it. And that's when it starts to actually change. If you're always just exercising to a point where you feel good and you're not breaking a sweat and your body doesn't like have muscles, you're probably not going to get as strong. But, you know, like but that discomfort is where the, where the actual action starts happening. And, and similarly, in our, in our consciousness around these conversations, if you're in an area where someone says something that's like, this makes my brain hurt. I don't think that's true. I don't, this, this doesn't match my idea of myself or the world. Why are you saying that? That's an interesting area probably for us to be hanging out in. It's an area with a whole lot of potential for creativity, I think. So um, I have some areas that I want to uh, wag into, if you don't mind. Uh, just before we run out of time, I want to bring up a couple of things. Um, uh, oh, I love that. Uh, somebody said this reminds them of a book, Courageous Conversations About Race. Speak your truth. Experience discomfort. Accept and expect non-closure. Non mm, I you love know, it's funny, think about the amount of people and the amount of times, by the way, non-closure, that makes me think about the amount of people that have sat in my office wanting me to, in some way, through my psychic or energetic abilities, help them to come to a resolve with the relationship that they ended and bring it to a closure because they want to escape the process of grief as fast as possible, you know, and grieving and going through that, that process. And it's like, don't run from that. Man, do I sympathize with that experience? I know that feeling of like, okay, can you come and remove this feeling? Can you just take it out of me? Yeah, and I think it's really closure. We look for closure, and we're so programmed to closure. And, and it's actually about getting unprogrammed. But that's also the part of us that want to control the future and the past. Yeah. Right? It's about, I really think this, this is where it becomes a very spiritual idea. It's about coming back into the present and realizing, you know, in the present, we can be safe. We can have these conversations. If we're projecting this all into the past and the future, we're not going to have a sa the same level of safe conversation. You know, in the present, we can bring those into this conversation. But if we go into those too hard, we're going to find, you know, our, we're going to get stuck there in our conversation. Yeah. And um, what and what a past and what a, what a past that we're that, that we're carrying with us. So you better just be present. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to just carry that past into the future. That's, right. that's, you know, besides just carrying it in the present and the weight of that, that's we're we're actually seeing that manifest on our TV screens right now, you know, but, but we want to carry something new into the future, you know, yeah. um, uh, and, and the new is just starts with safe space, safe conversation. So I wanted to circle back because I did see, uh, let's see, there were a couple of things I wanted to uh, bring up with you. Um, so I'm wondering, before I go there, I'm going to go there. I want to go back real quick, just just with uh, uh, so like, and, and maybe this is a little too personal, but like with your white friends and some of what you were talking about with these conversations, you know. Um, I guess one is how do you lean in 
you know, is what I was going to say. How, but wait, wait, don't answer because, but then I really want to, but what's sort of in my head that I'm not forming into a question is, you know, um, how fatigued, and I don't know that you can speak for everybody, that's why I don't know how to form the question right, but how fatigued do Black people feel in general around, you know, these conversations and, you know, uh, does that play a role in them in, in leaning into saying, you know, because I, it, it's like, you know, there's definitely a call for white people, you got to lead, like you stand up, you make the statement, you know, um, I even saw a post from you that was really great on Instagram about uh, just acknowledging like, thank you for your post and for letting me be able to just look yeah. at where to donate and donate not having to do the work and that you put sort of a thank you out to, to, uh, to the people who are doing this, you know, I believe of all races, um, yeah. but maybe directed towards the white, but I, I think it was just out there. And, and I thought, oh, wow, that's really powerful because it's really like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm processing these emotions. And, and that was actually helpful. And you acknowledge that, you know? Um, yeah. It just made me think about that. And I got twisted up in my head, but like, you know, the exhaustion around, uh, I, I think a lot of people must feel exhausted around racism and what they've dealt with. And we're just at the beginning of opening these conversations. So how do you get your energy to lead in? I guess maybe that's a good question. You can take it wherever you want to go. Um, yeah, there's a very real exhaustion that, um, and pain because um, when, for me personally, when uh, racial violence and po what, pr police brutality it happens, I am reminded of both my very personal experiences of racism that have happened throughout my life and I'm, and I'm just literally going through a little, the little Rolodex of traumas that my soul and spirit knows. Um, and that is triggered with that. And the feeling of helplessness that I think so many of us are all experiencing that and that most human beings in the world can relate to the experience of helplessness in a system that feels so well woven together, the system, the racist systems that feel so well woven together and unbreakable. They feel like that. I don't think they are, but they feel like that in these moments. And that can, that reminds me of very personal experiences of helplessness. So I have to navigate my actual nervous system, my health, my looking, what it feels like to look at my husband and be worried when he walks outside with a mask that somebody may experience him as intimidating because he's tall and black, you know, and wearing a mask for COVID, you know, um, and, and navigating all of these, this physiological, spiritual, psychic, psychological experience I'm having all at the same time, wanting to be a part of of speaking to what's happening and being a platform to it and attending to it and protesting around it and, and showing up and saying this isn't okay and wanting to be out there but it's an exhausting thing and then for it to happen over and over again and then also being burdened with the experience of ha having people who have not done the work to be caught up and then the, the, them challenging our own acts of defense <laughs> around things and, and having to navigate that system, those systems as well. Um, and the criticisms of, you know, the, 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 the people turning and saying, I'm, I, I'm of all the things I'm seeing in the world right now, I'm gonna critique 
the oppressed person and the way that that oppressed person <laughs> and the victim is trying to defend themselves of all the things and looking at that person and seeing like, oh, how exhausting that, that, you know, that not only are you not walking with me, you know, but you're actually critiquing my walk <laughs> to try to fight for this. It's, it's an exhausting, exhausting thing. But now... Are you saying, because there are people that are like, wait, this is getting really violent. I'm really uncomfortable with that in those areas. Although I will say the media has really spotlighted the violent areas. And if you actually do bother to look and do the research, most of the protests have been peaceful. But there definitely has been violence in certain areas. You know, so, uh, so yeah. what, what about people having concern with the violence? You know, yeah. uh, you know and I know, uh, go ahead, you take it. I am not an expert in social change and protests, but I do know that the revolution that even created this country, uh, you know, uh, we can talk about all of the history of what, we're, what land we're, we're on, but just the, the British revolution, right? The, the, this, the individuation from, 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 you know the tea party like we had we just we we've been destroying property for in in a, in a process of transformation and protesting what is to make change and make note for for, for to fight for life mm -hmm. in in every revolution and and change there has always been that so i know that i follows I mean I follow so much nonviolence in myself even even in the language that I use in in the in thinking about how I interact with my own spirit and others uh, I, th I think anybody can feel me can feel my 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 tendency towards nonviolence and yet I, I value life over property and uh, there, we need to examine and see who's really doing all of the looting and the fire and the fires Absolutely. and all of that. Uh, you know, I'm I, I went to college in Minnesota. I know Lake Street very well. I, this is an area that has lots of important people of color and community organizing to in, to put energy and time and money into this community of small businesses owned by people of color. So, so I don't think that that same community. Of social justice folks who have been creating so much change would also burn down that area so it's important to examine it well there's definitely been some white supremacists that have actually been out there creating violence and, creating and anarchists and yeah. all sorts yeah. of stuff yeah, yeah yeah no i guess i guess you know i think uh I, I guess you know if we're talking about judgment i really agree with you but i think if we're talking about being able to have safe conversations questioning violence I will say I agree with you that those that there has been no revolution uh, that's happened without violence. But I think in each revolution there have been conversations at what use of violence, what level, and yeah. addressing it along the way so it doesn't, Absolutely. you know. So I, I think you know yeah. that's what I would say that we it has to become, a, in my opinion, part of the, a safe conversation to address violence uh, and the use of it. Uh, but I think you're right that there's a you know, it's also understanding that there's a lot that's happening on the street there that's not 
just one-sided. And I, I think that that's- So that's, many beautiful things happening. And no, no, so no. I'm also saying even when the violence erupts, it's not just one-sided. That there's- Oh, you know, yeah. You see these clips in the films and you know, and you see the results of things, but you don't necessarily see the initiators. It's been, I mean, there's been the other side. Listen, I have seen in the media some of the things like, you know, the cops driving into the crowd in Brooklyn or whatever. I mean, just some crazy stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it's wild. I know. Uh, I know. But here's the thing, here's the thing, even the fact that we're using like in this world, there's, it, it's, an, it's important conversations to be had, but in this conversation where we're talking about ASA, where the, the spiritual level that we are work, work at and, and are practicing to hone, even to say, and this is complicated and I'm, I'm doing my own work. So I'm, I'm sharing so personally on such a personal Please. level of, of my own work. But even to say the other side is, is maybe still playing into these old paradigms and plans that no longer serve us. Because I have to say, I am so strongly um, fighting for black life right now. And also, my heart breaks at the inhumanity and the disconnection from, from humanness that, that these individuals who are inflicting the pain are having. And I, my heart, I think my heart has to break for them too because something has happened that they aren't able to be in connection with their humanity. So we've got to, we've got to get to other spaces and places to create this transformation and it's i'm not sure i think we're seeing so much covid is showing showing us this we're we're here now seeing this there aren't sides mm. I, I love you <laughs> i just love you i love that and yeah you're right and it's uh uh I like the language correction and realizing, you know, we have to be conscious of how we use our language and how that actually upholds this old system. And it's really a lot of work. It's a lot of growth. And the, the thing is, you know, when you said all of that, I just felt like, well, so in alignment to what I felt as a kid who was, you know, talking to dead people at five years old and, you know, meditating and having, you know, epiphanies and certain experiences in my, you know, preteen still, but a little bit later on. And my whole life has been about our oneness and our connectedness and the interconnectedness. And it was just so obvious to me, you know, I felt like I was tripping when I was a kid. People would talk about their acid trips or their mushroom trips. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's that web of energy and that life all connecting. And, uh, and, and trying to, to uh, convey that this is not just an idea, it's a reality, you know? Uh, and so it's interesting because I think uh, Black Lives Matter, I think this conversation and you going there really is about reminding us that, so there's those ideas and they're spiritual and they're sort of higher vibrational manifestation we actually need to bring them down into our practice and into our everyday and into our conversations and into our difficult conversations and realize that that's not separate. And our journey. Said, so. Absolutely. And uh, and uh, even it, it's our conversations, but it's our conversations with ourselves too. Yeah. Like, because we're, the programming is in our personal internal conversations too. Well, 
I think it's such a good note to end on. It's almost nine o'clock. I've kept people for a couple of hours here. Oh, uh, <laughs> so nice that so many people stayed. Yeah, and you uh, also hung out for the first part. And, uh, yeah, Georgia. it was so wonderful. Yeah, so nice. And, and it was amazing to have Georgia on here as well. Uh, and by the way, uh, in case you haven't recognized her, so Tessa besides got an amazing bio that I put out there. She's an actress, singer, and she is the face of the H&R Block commercials. <laughs> I'm <laughs> smiling at you as you walk by if you're walking down the street. <laughs> uh, I'm a comedian. You did a lot with UCB, I remember. I think that's yeah. where you were when I met you, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So, you know, which I think they are. Do they have to shut down because of COVID? Yeah. I think so, wow. Well, COVID yeah. participated in something that was already falling apart. Yeah. Well, anyway, but just an amazing person on so many levels. And I just can't thank you enough for being here. And, you know, one of the things we did in the meditation today, um, and one of the things I recommend to all of you is, you know, we first connected with our hearts. And then once we connected with our hearts, we connected with the hearts of the world. And then we reached out with our hands, eyes closed, and we reached out and connected. And just imagine all the humans on the earth, just hand to hand, surrounding the planet, holding their hands and really looking at the hands and imagining the color of the skin, the, and imagining the old hands, the innocent hands, the feminine hands, all of them just reaching out and touching one another and holding one another together and connected around the planet and just put that vision out there as a hope for the moment and a hope for the future and just charge that and, and own it in your own heart because uh, you will vibrate that into reality. We will vibrate that into reality together. <laughs>